Okay, I'm back. <laughs> so we're talking, now we're going to kind of shift uh, from early stage investments to more late stage investments with Amrith and Reese. So just to get us started, um, tell us a little bit about Section Partners and what it is that you guys do, because it is a little bit different from your typical kind of VC fund. Sure. So Section Partners is a venture capital fund. Um, we've been around for eight years. We're managing about a half a billion dollars. And we do traditional primary investing, secondary investing. But what we focus on primarily is providing financing solutions that give liquidity to founders of companies. Um, the way we do that is we give a loan to that founder, and the founder only pays us back if the company goes public or sells. So it's, it's, when the strategy was, we launched it eight years ago, we noticed companies were staying private a lot longer. Um, and there's a natural cycle. And for the entrepreneurs, the founders, the C-suite team, there's a lot of uh, you know, personal needs. And selling um, the equity obviously has its disadvantages. So we came up with this solution. Um, and we now have 70 portfolio companies, an eight-year track record. We're, we just launched our fifth fund. So something that we're uh, pretty excited about. Yeah. Reese, do you want to explain kind of how that works? Yeah, so so from a structural standpoint, I think, and bear with me, it's, it's a little bit complex, but uh, typically what happens, a founder will come to us at Section Partners and uh, they'll look for an alternative to a secondary sale. So what we'll do is we'll provide them with a loan. In turn, they'll collateralize and pledge a portion of their common stock in their private company to us via a contract and uh, ultimately they will, you know, they're not responsible for paying us back until there's any sort of liquidity event. So if the company never goes public, uh, you know, the, you don't owe us back. If the company goes to zero, you don't owe us back. And I think for founders, there's quite a few benefits. Uh, the first being that this is a non-recourse form of financing. So we're not going to, you know, run a credit check. This is not a bank loan where your personal assets are on the line. We take your house, we take your car. Uh, it's simply just you know, the pledge of your common stock that's collateralized, you know, against this loan. Uh, the second piece is that this is a non-taxable event today. So rather than a secondary sale, where ultimately if you're selling stock, you're going to face tax consequences today, um, there is no taxes up front for the loan. The only tax event that occurs is when there is a trigger event or any sort of, you know, sale of company, IPO, et cetera. Um, the, the third piece and definitely the most important piece is that as a founder, you get to keep the upside in your equity. So from a mathematical standpoint, there's a break-even point between if you were to sell stock versus if you were to take out financing. And mathematically, the way that works is that over a three-year period, if the value of your shares appreciate by two times the value they are at the time of the financing, you're better off using section partner's structure. And ultimately, because we're operating in this common equity world, we, you know, we're aligned on the upside with with the founder and executive who decides to take the financing. And how is this different from uh, private equity or kind of your more traditional, um, you know, as, a, as an outsider, it does kind of remind me of private equity or something along those lines. So if you could talk a little bit about how this is different from that. Yeah, sure. So I, mean, I think, you know, if you look at traditional private equity, the model is they take ownership of a company and they finance that ownership with a bunch of debt. Um, and that, that kind of model, uh, that the model works in that way. 
what we're doing, and if you think about you know the background of the, of the principles of the firm is where even though we're we have this loan structure that Reese has talked about, it's very much equity risk in the company because if the company, as you mentioned, doesn't have an exit, we don't get paid back, and there's no maturity date on the loan. So it's we don't have control. What we have done though, which is maybe more analogous to venture debt, is just like we started this business off by doing this with founders. We also now face companies and provide this financing. So just to kind of recap again, how, how would that work? The company would take a loan from us. The maturity date of that loan would be a trigger event, which is an IPO or a sale. So what that does is, is that it allows the company to not take dilution. I, mean, I think we're going to be talking about valuations in a little bit, but in this environment, raising it around that, that might not be attractive, it, it avoids that dilution. It also, the way our structure works is, is that the interest part of the, of, of the loan is not paid during the life of the loan. That's, again, only due if the company goes public or sells. So compared to a venture debt term sheet where cash, which is king for all these companies that are, that are growing at the rates that they're growing, they're not paying any coupon or any interest to us for the life of that loan. So um, th- those are some of the, the benefits that, that the structure offers versus a traditional um, uh, venture uh, debt piece. And uh, as Section Partner is, you know, really focusing on that late stage funding environment, how has that changed specifically in logistics compared to other industries uh, in the last six to 12 months, if at all? Yes. Or so if I, there is a major difference, sure. I should say, between logistics and others. I think I think over the past three years and, and even the past decade, and I mean, you all have recognized this and, and we've seen a divergence between public and private market valuations and um, investors were paying sometimes, you know, 30 to 50 times annual recurring revenue, uh, you know, for a company that was fairly nascent in the space, right? Um, today, what we're seeing, and, and we track quite a bit of secondary market data, uh, we've seen that uh, there's two main areas that are changing. The first is price and, and valuation, and the second is volume. So from a valuation perspective, um, the way things have changed across hundreds of secondary market transactions, we're seeing that on average, companies are selling stock on the secondary markets for a 30 to 40% discount to their most recent fundraising round. Um, and even I'm sure you saw in the news, there are a few companies that have sold at a discount of, of up to 85 to 90%. Um, so that's on the pricing standpoint. And then from a value or from a volume perspective, uh, this last quarter, Q3, we saw an 81% decrease quarter over quarter in late stage investments into private companies. Um, and, and we anticipate this drop continuing to happen depending on the volatility in the markets moving forward. Um, but in terms of logistics tech, Armith, I mean, do you, have, do you have anything to add there? No, I mean, I think it, we don't, in general, just given where we are with the markets, um, you know, historically, if you look back over a 20-year period, it, t- it typically takes the private markets about six months to uh, kind of catch up to what's going on in the public markets. I think we're all pretty acutely aware of what's going on in the public markets. But what are we seeing in, in this late-stage world of uh, private companies? Um, we're not seeing necessarily down rounds, per se. What we are, we are it, the, the rounds that are happening at this diminished pace, as Reese mentioned, um, are maybe happening at flat valuations, maybe a slight increase to, the, to their last round. But there's a lot of structure around the, the terms. So things like we saw maybe back in you know, 2000, 2001, things like liquidation preferences, warrants, ratchets, 
you're seeing a lot more of that when the companies are raising, even if it's a flat round. So, you know, effectively there's, I mean, on paper it's a flat round, but with all these structure around it, it's, it's not as, uh, it's probably more diluted than the actual headline number. So I guess that, you know, we've seen over the past five or 10 years, just so many companies IPOing. We've seen the SPAC trends. We've seen just more and more interest in going public, essentially. Do you think that that's kind of a, do you think that's a bubble that's popping? Do you think that that's something that we won't see as much in, in uh, you know, the next five re- years or so? Yeah, that's a good question. What I'd say is um, the the IPO market, the bar for what's needed to IPO. So the window is obviously closed right now. I mean, if you just look at the stats of where we are in 2022, um, we're on pe- pace from a technology IPO standpoint and, or an overall IPO standpoint to be slower than 2008, just to give you an idea of consequence, right? It's pretty dramatic. Um, and I think what's when that window does open or as it opens, I think the bar for what companies need to go public has dramatically increased. So this concept of annualized recurring revenue, um, ARR, I think 12 months ago, uh, you know, 18 months ago, SPACs, what have you, traditional IPOs, you could go public if you're, if you gener- you're generating 50 to 75 million of ARR. Um, I think that bar is now probably going to be closer to 150. Um, you're looking at companies that have a much longer operating history. So companies that, that may have gone public with three or four years of significant growth, um, you know, a significant business plan, that can't, that's not happening anymore. I think the market investors are going to want to see five to seven years of operating history. Um, and then the big one is profitability or a path to profitability. Um, the, you know, the last two years, that didn't really matter. When, when was a company going to become profitable? I don't think the market really focused on that. I think now uh, the first few names you're going to see come up that open up that window again, you're going to have to either be profitable or you're going to have to have a fully funded business plan. Uh, what do I mean by a fully funded business plan? You're going to have to have enough cash on your balance sheet or access to cash that you can operate for two years without having to raise again. So I think that concern for investors at the stage that we're looking at is what happens if the market stays like this? What happens if if capital dries up. So do they have enough cash to kind of weather what the next you know, 24 months look like? So I think, though, I think that the basic metrics of an IPO candidate has just shifted dramatically up just in the last six months. It seems like that will, you know, uh, help make a more healthy market, it seems. It seems like there maybe have were some companies in the past year or so that went public didn't quite go as maybe they planned. Yeah. Um, it seems like this will probably just lead to a more healthy, kind of sustainable public market. Yeah, I think, um, look, I think if you, you know, if you just take logistics or maybe most of these companies in general, I think, you know, what are investors focusing on now? Um, obviously, they're looking at, you know, if the business can have a SaaS component to it, a subscription business. Wall Street loves predictability. So that that ability to kind of, you know, triangulate what, this year's numbers look like next year's looks like that visibility that's become even more important if if it's possible in the last you know the last year and going to be increasingly more important um you know some of the other things that that uh that are focusing on is who are who are the companies selling to are they selling to smbs are they selling to companies that if we go into a recession they're going to cut budgets what is that that end customer that that that, that these different companies are selling to what does that look like um, what happens in a recessionary environment? That's a big focus. 
Um, another focus, at, again, at our stage is, let's say volume drops. It, does a company have pricing power? Can they, can they make up that revenue short boil by having a, that as a lever? I mean, these are some of the things that companies that are kind of beyond that, that later stage where you know, they're ready for an IPO or getting ready for an IPO candidate. These are, these are the types of things that investors are focusing on more now in the event of what might happen in the next 24, 36 months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to add to that, I think um, as the IPO window you know, closes and, and obviously we have no visibility into when it's going to open, right? there's this extended period of illiquidity in the markets and that's where this structured solution from, you know, from a section partners or, or from someone similar in the market who's allowing a founder or executive or a company to access a little bit of excess cash before they're able to go public, right? If it's a company that's, you know, like Amr talked about, you know, almost cash flow break even, that's looking for that window in the next 24 months, an alternative financing structure to, you know, a very structured term sheet is going to be plausible moving forward, um, at least until the window is open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the other point that I'd raise too is, is that with kind of the way we're doing it, others like us are trying to do it, these alternative financing structures just given the valuation environment is, since we're operating in like our structure, our solution in particular, for example, as Brees mentioned, is, is in the common equity uh, world. So from a, from a capitalization of the company standpoint, it doesn't change. So we're not sitting above preferred shares. We're not sitting on, we're not traditional debt. We're still within that common equity um, bucket, just like the founders are, just like the C-suite are. So, you know, there's this big, you know, concept and venture about alignment of interest and all that. And I think I like to think that we definitely are that just given that we're not above anybody else in the capitalization of the company. Um, you know, it's not a point about just talking about valuations and you're asking out of the environment. The last eight years, just having been in this bull market, if you look at the spreads between preferred and common, all that's been one. I mean, no one's really sat back and said, okay, what is a waterfall of this company? What does it look like in uh, you know, in a distressed situation, I think now you know guys like me, guys like us, are sitting back and being like, "What does that look like?" Because it's something that's you know that could happen in the next you know twelve, twenty four months, depending on how yeah. depending on if we go into recession and how bad a recession. And with just a little bit of time left before the end of our our chat, what sectors in logistics are you guys looking at most closely? Is there any sort of um, area in logistics or supply chain that's really jumping out to you guys? Yeah, I mean we're. I mean, so we just, as I mentioned, we just launched our fifth fund. We hope that 25% of that fund is going to be in logistics. Um, I think we're pretty open. I think the, uh, I mean, I think having that subscription element to the business model is key for us just because our roots are in enterprise software. Um, if you look at kind of the logos that we participated in, so we are looking primarily for that aspect. And we're looking for, uh, I think, where pricing, macro pricing does not affect the business bo- model beyond a certain level of magnitude. I think those are the two kind of high-level things we're looking at before we kind of do a deep dive. All right, great. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.